0: thing. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. Um, and while you're turning there, you know, I, I, I asked Jim to sort of read that thing about Mother's Day because um, Mother's Day, like Valentine's Day, seems to be one of those Hallmark holidays, right? But the truth is, I think it's very cool that Mother's Day would start, was started by a Christian lady who understood that Christians are blessed to be able to give God thanks in all circumstances, that we trace every good gift up to God who is the giver of good gifts. And so we have an abundant reason as Christians to give God thanks and praise in everything. And man, you know, when we think about humans being made in the image of God, he made them male and female in his image. Uh, How beautiful is it that God gave us mothers? Like, is there a more tangible expression on this planet of compassion, and service, and faithfulness, and grace, and love than a mother? Uh, I I think probably not. And so, mothers, we just want you to know we do love you. Um, You know, we don't celebrate Mother's Day uh, over above our celebration of Christ, but this is just one more wonderful reason to give God thanks and praise for His kindness to us. So, we are deeply grateful for you. Um, Hopefully you're in John chapter 6. We've been in this series... Called what is the church kind of coming out of easter and in a couple of weeks we're going to get back into luke and we've just been trying to explore some of the things that define our church family that define what the church is uh and this morning I, I i hope to just really encourage your hearts by dwelling on this idea that the church is a banquet the church is a banquet uh, one of the things that's kind of cool about Mother's Day this morning at Maricopa Springs is we have a lot of mothers in the room who are normally in the back, in the cove, week after week after week. Maybe you even feel like there are some unfamiliar faces here. Well, it may be that they are mothers who, uh, for your benefit, so that you can worship God without the distraction of little tykes running around everywhere. I call them mongrels at my house, but maybe that's not appropriate here. Um, little children. Uh, running around, disturbing things. You know, these are these are moms who take one for the team and are back there week after week after week. We're we're grateful for them. But so I, w- I was just thinking as this series was kind of laid out, uh, this topic in particular was special to me because I knew that there would be in the room mothers who don't always get to be here week after week. And so my prayer has really just been that God would use this time to just bless our church, to just nourish our hearts, um, to allow us to really kind of feast on this idea that He has prepared a banquet for us and invited us to that. So with that in mind, let me read our text and then I'm going to pray for us. I'm in John chapter 6 and I'm going to start in verse 48. This is Jesus talking, makes this astounding claim. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Let me pray for us. God, again, we just give you thanks for your word. And what a blessing it is for us. We, we are just amazed by the fact that if you had not given us these words, we, we couldn't know you. But out of your desire to be known by us, to be seen by us, out of your desire to have us draw near to you so that you could draw near to us, you have revealed these things to us and we worship you for that. We do just give you thanks for mothers and what a beautiful reflection they are of your compassion and your love and your faithfulness. And I pray that you would bless the mothers in this room this morning, that they would feel just honored and and blessed. I pray that they would feel your, your love and your encouragement in their lives as they persevere in the tasks that you have given them. And Lord, we just ask that our church would be a church that truly is centered around this banquet, this feast, this eating of the bread of life, your Son, Jesus, and that we would be committed to that with all of our hearts. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if uh, you caught this as I read it, but the word flesh is recorded in these verses six different times. And flesh is a pretty gritty word, I think. Maybe you knew this, maybe not. Uh, Were you aware that the early church was actually held in a lot of skepticism in the first 200 years or so after Christ was raised from the dead? They had this, uh, the pagans, the outsiders, had this real suspicion about Christians, And the primary reason for that was because the church worship service uh, was actually a closed community. I think this is very interesting. Today in America, churches are very open. We want people to come in, which I think is a wonderful thing. But the early church was very actually exclusive because there was a lot of risk to being associated with Christ. And so behind closed doors it began to be circulated among the pagans and the non-believers that one of the things that these Christians were doing was they were having a, what they called a love feast, an agape meal. And a component of this agape meal was that they actually ate of the body and the blood of their leader, Jesus. Communion, which Jesus sort of alludes to here, and so the pagans actually believed that Christians in the early church were cannibals because they ate the flesh of Jesus. Rumors circulated about these strange banquets that Christians participated in, and those outside of the Christian community saw this as a very strange uh, set of ex- uh, circumstances around the church. And this is definitely a gritty idea for sure, isn't it? That Christians eat the flesh of Christ. We can even see it in verse 52 if you look at this text, right? The Jewish leaders, they ask this question. They're they're sort of taken aback and even appalled by this. How, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You can almost hear the grotesque contempt in their voices at this idea. But before we get into this strange kind of banquet that refers to the flesh, the blood and body of Christ, before we get to these words and what they mean and imply for us, I want to take a step back, actually, Because how do these words come to us, these words that we find here in John 6? By what means is it that we come to see this truth that Christ states about himself? How is it revealed to us that we know that we've been invited to the banquet that God has prepared for us? Uh, This is one of those really obvious questions, Okay, so don't overthink it. We know these things because the Bible reveals it to us. Scripture tells us. And we wouldn't know these things without the word of God to say them to us. And so we know about Jesus who is the bread of life because God has given us his word by which he speaks these things to us and reveals them to us. And so listen, if the church is a banquet, where we feast upon the food that God has graciously provided for our nourishment. Then I have to ask you, maybe as just kind of an appetizer to that bigger idea. How hungry are you to ingest the word of God? Remember what Jesus says in, in the beginning of his ministry in response to this temptation that he experiences in the desert. Uh, Satan is tempting him, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8. He says, you probably know, these very famous words, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so consider this for a second. In the last week, in the last seven days, how many times have you eaten? How many times did you eat something? I would guess 20 to 30 times, probably, if you include snacks. You probably spent at least 10 hours in the last week consuming food to nourish your body. God made your body so that it requires healthy nourishment to sustain it. And listen, if you had skipped all of those meals over the last week, then we would be able to physically see the result of your week without food apparent in your physical appearance here this morning. If you don't eat, you don't live. Everybody knows that basic fundamental human reality. But how many times over the last seven days did you come to the Lord's banquet table to feast yourself on the decadent sustenance of the Word of God? I mean, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so did you feast on God's Word 20 to 30 times in the last week to nourish your soul like you ate physical food? What about 10 times? Did you feast on His Word 10 times? Did you do it even 7 times? Did you do it one time in the last 7 days? I mean, imagine how you would feel this morning if you had come here and you had only eaten one meal in the last seven days. I don't know about you, but one of the consequences of me skipping a meal is that I get grumpy. Maybe you would feel fatigued. Maybe you would feel agitated. Maybe you would be anxious or irritable. You'd be worn out for sure. You'd be tired because your body would have to get its energy from some other source. Now think about how emaciated Your soul would be this morning if you had gone a week or even most of a week without feeding your spirit from the living word of God to sustain your soul. I mean, honestly, as Christians, do we even believe Jesus when he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Do we actually believe that? Do we understand that without feasting on the Word of God, we we literally starve in our spirit? Now, please understand. I mean, if you've been around here long enough, you know I'm going to say something like this. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm really not trying to make you feel bad. After all, you're actually here this morning. And so what that tells me is that you have a hunger in your spirit for something. Otherwise, you would be at brunch satisfying merely the hunger of your stomach, Right? But what I want you to know is that, listen, God has invited us kindly, graciously, to eat to our full on His ever-nourishing Word as part of this banquet that He has laid out for those of us who believe. God, I mean, this is just an astounding idea. God, rather than wanting to stay hidden and mysterious, wants to be known by you. He desires that. He wants you to seek Him and to find Him. He wants to fill you and sustain you and nourish you every day so that your soul is never scrawny, so that your soul is never undernourished. And He's provided His Word so that you could be filled in your spirit, so that you can know the beauty of the face of God as it's been spoken to us. And God makes His Word alive for those of us who believe by the power of His Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to the truth of what He proclaims. And so the, the, the church is a group of people who are those who feast on the Word of God at His banquet so that our hearts are full, so that our hearts are satisfied continually. And I'm not interested in telling you that you, should, that you need to go read the Word of God because you should. I only want to point out this simple truth. If your, if your soul is hungry for God, then sit at his banquet table. Fill yourself with the word that he has offered. Where God pours forth his promises, these beautiful things that he will love us, he will cherish us, he will keep us to the end, he will guard us. I just want to point out Psalm 119. Okay? This is the longest psalm in the Bible. It usually takes me a couple cracks to get it to get through it when I go to read it. It goes on and on and on, and the theme of Psalm 119 is just the richness of the Word of God. And so I guess if you want, you can turn there. But what I had in mind was more for you to maybe just close your eyes and just sit. Like, I just want to bless you with the Word of God this morning. And so just listen and be blessed by this. Let God satisfy your soul with these words for a brief moment. It says this, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So the church is a banquet because we feast on the Word of God. God has spoken so that we might know Him, and we gather together whenever we gather to share in eating, consuming, partaking of His Word together. And man, how blessed are we to have this privilege? Do you understand that even now, all over the world... There are people who are hungry for the Word of God, and they are so hungry that they actually put their lives in danger at times to get access to God's Word, to eat from Scripture. They close themselves in closets. They hide themselves in the darkness to read the Bible. I've actually had that experience in Sudan and in Pakistan. In some places in the world, people keep tattered fragments of the New Testament desperately they hide them as if they were more precious than gold there are people all over the world who are in poverty and who are hunger and who are in hunger and who are persecuted and and even though they may go without food they dare not go without feeding themselves on the word of god by which they truly believe they live or they die so my friends i want you to understand the church is not a casual group of people who share a favorite book Like, we are not merely a pretentious book club. We are the people who gather together to feast on the Word of God. We come to sit at the banquet table of our Lord, to be fed by what He has spoken, to be nourished in our souls according to everything that He has proclaimed, knowing that truly without these words we perish. Better us go without bread than without the Word of God. Okay, now that we've established the significance of these words that we look at from week to week, let's go to what this word teaches us here in John chapter 6 about this banquet that we're part of. I want to read this again, okay? Because if if Scripture is our food, then let us feast together. Whenever we gather, let's let's read it and eat to the full. And so let me read it again, starting in John chapter 6, verse 48. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. It's like giants are running around on the ceiling. It's just the sunshine. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I love it whenever Jesus speaks. Like the Jews like have this little conference over here. Like, what in the world is he talking about, right? And So Jesus attempts to clarify. I'm not sure that they fully get it. But he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. At the center of the church is not only the word of God on which we feast, but the church is comprised of us who have been invited to the banquet table. God has thrown a party for his people. You see this theme woven throughout Scripture, right? Psalm 23, he prepares a meal for me in the presence of my enemies god's thrown a party he's invited us to come and to enjoy this banquet that he's put together and the food in which we find the sustenance for our souls is the flesh and the blood of christ jesus now look there's no mysterious meaning to these words here okay if you think about it for just a moment really i mean it's obvious jesus was not encouraging christians to be cannibals like we kind of intuitively understand that don't we The pagans who thought that Christians were cannibals misunderstood like the Jewish leaders here misunderstand. Jesus is not saying, like, come and take a bite. The simple meaning of what Jesus is saying here is that Christ offers up his body as an atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And the fundamental problem, we hit on this again and again and again at Maricopa Springs, the fundamental problem with the world is sin. The fundamental problem is that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They rebelled and they turned against Him. They sinned against Him. The fundamental problem with the world is that I sin. The fundamental problem with the world is that you sin. That's the problem. And the only solution to this fundamental problem is for Jesus, the perfect man who is also God, to die so that you could be forgiven. For his body and his blood to be offered up as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And when you humbly come to God's banquet table, what you find laid out for you on that beautifully set table is the body and blood of Jesus who generously gave his life for your sake. And so we as Christians are those who feast on the body and blood of Christ because it's the only way by which we might be saved. And if you're tired of running this rat race that so many people run, trying with all of your might to be a good person and knowing all the while deep down in your heart that you're probably not making the cut, then I would just say Come man, come to the banquet table. Come and eat freely of what God has offered you. Come and drink deeply of God's grace in the body and blood of Christ. There's a seat for you here at this table. Just come. And understand this, many people falsely believe that they're going to be in heaven. The statistics on this point are really staggering, actually. Um, Just if you want to do like a social experiment, go walk around Fry's maybe not on Mother's Day because people will feel accosted, but some other day, and just ask people, hey, do you think you're going to heaven? And the response is going to be overwhelmingly yes, right? But ask them why. And few will say, Jesus. I'm sure of that. And understand, please, God has given an invitation for us to come and to feast at his table, but there will not be anyone present at that table in the life to come, who is not there to eat and feast on the body and blood of Christ. Like that's what we will be gathered to do. And this is the only way. And so I I would beg you to humble yourself and come and eat until you're full. Those are the simple kind of facts of what Jesus is saying there. But I would say there are some other deeper implications for us as well. I want to look at a couple of different verses with you. Look at verses 53 to 54. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I already said Jesus is the only way, but I want to point out there's nothing beyond this either. There's nothing beyond Christ. We eat Christ now for salvation and also for the future resurrection. You know, many religions try to entice people by secrets. Come, come, enter into this thing and, and, and come with us deeper and we'll tell you deeper secrets, deeper things, deeper truths. Inner temples, higher levels of enlightenment. You can progress further into this thing, past those who are less serious. The deeper you go, the further you get, the more profound these secrets will be and the greater your level of spirituality will be. I mean, honestly, that's that's Mormonism, that's Scientology, and some sects of Islam, that's Islam as well. But you see here that where the Christian starts is also where the Christian ends. It's the very same place. It's eating the food prepared for us at the banquet table that we come, and it's the same food, the body and blood of Christ, that finishes this whole thing for us as well. There's nothing beyond Jesus. It is him who gives us eternal life, now, in this moment, and forever. Now, don't misunderstand. The, the, Christian, uh, the goal of the Christian life is to strive for greater holiness, With all of our hearts and all of our will, all of our being, we seek to be more like Christ, to be righteous like he is righteous, to honor God more faithfully and fully with our lives. But you're never going to do anything more to honor God than what the body and blood of Christ has already done for you to make you righteous. You will never by yourself progress beyond Christ and supplement his body and blood with something that you can contribute to the meal. You're gonna, you're never gonna add anything to what God has already provided, what he has already done in Christ. You know, in a few minutes, we're gonna take communion together, and I firmly, want, I firmly believe one of the reasons that Christ asked his family to maintain this tradition was so that we would never forget that where we start is also where we end. That Christ Jesus saves us, Christ sanctifies us in holiness, carries us along in holiness, and he completes us in righteousness when he glorifies us. And so the point of this is is just this, guys. Don't begin by feasting on the body and blood of Jesus, only to think that from there you're going to Progress to resting on your own righteousness, your own efforts, some deeper experience above and beyond Christ. Or maybe I could say, don't be tempted to become bored with Jesus and think that there might be something beyond him. There's nothing past Christ, there's nothing further, there's nothing deeper. At this banquet table, the only food that we eat is Jesus. And without that food, there is no life. And with that food, we have eternal life. Now look at verse 55. Jesus says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Just consider for a second another analogy here, uh, another implication of this analogy, maybe I could say. If you ask my children, what is true food? What kind of response do you think they're going to give you? cookies, donuts, ice cream, candy, maybe pizza would get tossed in there. Quick quick side story. We inter- our children were interviewed for like our family mothers day yesterday. Like what's the f- what's your favorite thing that your mom cooks? And one of our kids said pizza. Which I mean honestly, my wife is a good cook, but she doesn't cook pizza. It comes out of the freezer and goes into the oven. But, I mean, that's how they think, right? What is true food? Man, it's ice cream. It's candy. It's donuts. Now, you ask a grown-up, what is true food? What are they going to say to you? I thought, well, you know, if you're not behaving like a child, I thought vegetables, right? A well-balanced diet, maybe protein, these kinds of things that actually nourish your body and provide what it needs. I mean, the truth is, I wish I could eat ice cream for every single meal and have it produce the same result as broccoli. (laughs) I would love that. Because ice cream is delicious and broccoli is good for you. And like, we know as grown-ups, our experience of food, it tends to be sort of one or the other, right? Either food is delicious or it is good for you. It's really only the people with refined taste buds that would rather eat salt-free soy chips than some greasy cheddar and sour cream potato chips. Okay? And the point is this. At the banquet feast of God, where we eat the body and blood of Christ, understand this, we find food that is not only absolutely nourishing for our souls, but it is delicious and delightful beyond compare. In Christ, we get both. Like the psalmist describes the word of God that we just read, Christ too is sweet to the taste like honey to our mouth. How good of God then to give us both our spiritual ice cream and our spiritual broccoli all wrapped up in one in Christ Jesus into the singular body and blood of Christ. We don't have to choose as believers between food that will nourish us or food that is delicious and a delight to the taste buds of our spirit. In Christ, we have both of those things all at once, simultaneously. And so feast on Him, and what you find is the decadent delight that lifts your soul up. And it has none of the bitterness of the unpleasant foods that we might not prefer. And yet also feast on the decadent delights of Christ and your soul is never going to get sick from a feeling of overindulgence like a child might feel the day after Halloween. And in Christ we find all of the pleasant sweetness of ice cream with all of the nourishing vigor of broccoli together in him. And so man, stuff your hungry soul with Christ. God will never chide you for overindulgence like a glutton. Instead, he will satisfy you and nourish you all at the same time with the delights of Christ. One final implication here. Look at verses 54 to 57. Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Eating Christ is what makes you alive. Taking his body and his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, that is what makes you alive. If In fact, if you don't do that, then you are dead forever. And think about this, when you eat food, the nutrients of that food actually become assimilated into your body and become a part of who you are. What a strange mystery that is. And in a similar way, in a spiritual way, those of us who have taken the body and blood of Christ into ourselves, we become filled with Christ. We are united to him. It is his life that is living inside of us. His food is true food that makes us strong indeed. And when we feast on him, his promise is that he will abide in us. We find that we're not only alive in Christ after death in the resurrection, but even now, Christ is giving your life an eternal quality because the Spirit of God is living inside of you. Look closely again at verse 57, and it it talks about the living Father. Jesus emphasizes the living Father. I mean, isn't that kind of obvious and implied? And then Christ says, and I live because of the Father. And then he says that we who feast on Jesus are also alive. We who feast on him, we trace our life through Christ all the way back up to God the Father himself. And so think about this for a second. If you sit at the banquet table of God and you eat the body and blood of Christ, whose life is it that is alive in you? What does Jesus say? It's not only his own. It is the very life of God the Father himself. Okay, now please understand, we don't become a part of God. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. It's not even possible for us to become a part of God. God is something completely other from us. But what Jesus is saying is something rather scandalous if you think about it. The very life of God is shared with us through Christ. The very life of God the Father is alive and living inside of you because you have feasted on the body and blood of Christ. His body and His blood make it possible for us to sit at the banquet table of God, sharing in fellowship with God the Father, sharing in the life that God Himself has. He is our living Father, just like Christ is our living Savior. And so not only does the body and blood of Christ save us from our sins, but it actually fills us with with the life of our all-loving, all-powerful, heavenly Father. Man, you want to talk about food, take that home and chew on that for a second. Again, you're not just a creature that God has made, but you sit at his table sharing in his life if you have taken the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now listen, it's kind of customary at the end of a message like this to sort of toss in some application points for you and kind of give you the rah-rah pat and send you out. And the truth is, I don't want to do anything like that this morning. I don't, I don't want to give you some application response. I just want you to meditate on these ideas. I just want, to let, I want you to let the wonder of these ideas sink deep down into your heart, deep down into your mind and settle there. I just want you to let the wonder of this idea drive you to the banquet table of God where you can feast. I want you to let the wonder of this idea lead you to the body and blood of Christ that God has so graciously provided for you. We're going to take communion now. Of course, that seems appropriate, doesn't it? Jesus, I don't think here in John, is specifically talking about communion, but we certainly see the correlation here. It's not communion itself that saves you. It is the implication of what communion means. That you have chosen to go to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that he is, in fact, alive inside of you. You have taken on his death and he has given you his life. The way that we're going to do communion is the way that we do it around here from time to time at Maricopa Springs. It's called intinction. It just means that uh, in the next few minutes as our worship team leads us through some singing, you're welcome to make your way to one of the tables. We have two of them this morning. It looks like there's two tables. You can make your way back there, and um, you're going to find a cracker. You can dip the cracker in either the wine or the grape juice and just eat it right there. And I, I, I like to ask you that you just don't rush this experience. Before you go to the table, before you enter into the presence of God in this experience of joining His banquet that you have been freely and graciously invited to. Don't rush. Prepare your heart to enter into His presence. If there's unconfessed sin, confess it. If you're out of sorts with somebody in this room and and you need to have a conversation before you go to God, then I encourage you to do that if you need to sit and just receive the forgiveness of sins that He so freely promises, then confess, repent, and receive. And so I'm going to pray, but our worship team is going to come and they're just going to stand up here for a minute and and leave some quiet time for you to come into the presence of God. Take advantage of that time and then they'll lead us in some singing and when you're prepared, go to the table and Feast on the body and blood of Christ, given so freely for you. Let me pray. God, what could we possibly say except thank you? I mean, we are in wonder that in your grace you would offer up your son Jesus, who would come and say, I'm the bread of life who would tell us that we can eat and eat and eat to satisfy the needs of our body, and yet our body will still perish. But that in the body and blood of Christ, we have eternal life. So we thank You for this meal that You have provided. We thank You for the church that is a banquet, the people who feast on the Word that You have given us and feast on the body and blood of Your Son that You have given us. Lord, I pray that if there's any in this room who don't yet know you in this way, that they would come and sit at your table. Lord, would they choose to take a seat? Would they hear you beckoning and calling? Would you draw them? And God, I pray for those of us who who know you and love you. Lord, would we we look to nothing else except Christ, the founder, the author, the finisher of our faith. And so we... Thank you for this meal, and we worship you in it. Amen.